Hi, this is Elaine. We've hosted guest experts on impactparents.com every week since 2011. And since 2017, they've been podcast style interviews. Now we're dipping into those archives to share these fascinating conversations with leading world experts on the Parenting with Impact podcast. Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's Elaine Taylor-Klaus with Impact ADHD, your online support for parenting complex kids in a whole range of different areas. I am excited to welcome back our guest today. This is Anat Banyal, the founder of the Anat Banyal Method. Um, we are in the middle of a conversation about nine essentials of neuromovement for positive brain change, so we're going to pick up where we left off. But I do want to take a moment to just give you a little bit of information about Anat. I met her at a, at a conference for ADHD coaches where she did a keynote, and I was so taken by this method and the results that she gets with complex children that I really wanted her to share this information with our community because neuroplasticity and, and the notion that we're changing brains and activating the brains is such an important part of the work that we do. Um, Anat is a psychologist and by training. She has a degree in statistics. She's been working with children with special needs for over 30 years. She's written two books, including Kids Beyond Limits, and everything she does is really about harnessing the brain for positive brain change. Uh, she trains practitioners who collaborate with her around the world. She teaches workshops around the country and around the world, and she's about to start a, a training program uh, for parents as well, a, a five-day intensive workshop. So she's really in the trenches and on the outside, really a, a whole rounded expert in this realm of how do you apply the principles of neuro plasticity when we're working with, with complex kids. So Anat, welcome back. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me a second time. I'm really looking forward. The first interview was a lot of fun. Uh, me too. I enjoyed it. So in the first interview, just as a recap for those of you who are checking in, we've covered three of the, of the nine essentials of the Anat Banyam Method, the essentials of a neuro movement for positive brain change. We talked about movement with attention. We talked about uh, essential two was slow, and essential three was reducing the force. And I think we've spent some time sort of getting clear on that, so it's time to move on to essential four. Absolutely. So I'm just going to recap one thing very briefly. Yes. That the purpose of the essentials is to wake up the brain to do its job. Mm -hmm. And and what the, the job of the brain is an information system, so it's to put order in the disorder and make sense out of the nonsense. And the way it does it is through information, it's an information system, and the source of the information for the brain is actually perception of differences. So Great, if thank a child's you. brain for reason one or two or three, doesn't matter what it is, uh, somehow is blurry or what they call the, the signal-to-noise ratio is too 
low, it's too close, so that the, 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 the kid cannot really get what it's perceiving. Then the brain is, a, is a deprived of, of information to create neural networks with. Okay. So each and every one of the essentials actually facilitates and sort of uh, triggers the brain. It's the conditions that uh, get the brain to be able to perceive differences more easily and get better as a result in perceiving differences and as a result learning. Whatever yeah. it is that we learn, it can be physical movement, it can be cognitive stuff, it can be emotional, interpersonal, on all levels. So the fourth essential is variation. And variation, is in, in, from what I just said, is a pretty straightforward essential because when we cause variation, we introduce variation, we introduce differences. So, for example, when I work with children who have a, I always introduce some movement and do some work with movement because it, it primes the brain to learn better no matter what. But that's I work with a child that has a hard time with math, with basic, you know, arithmetic in, in, in first, second, third grade. I don't try to get them to learn the right answer, like two and two is four and three and three is six. But what I do is I create variations around and I, by the way, very often when I work with a child like that, I say, it doesn't matter if you give me the right answer or not, because I already know it. <laughs> so I don't need you to give me the right answer, which is, by the way, a huge variation from what usually is right. the condition in school. And it creates, of course, safety and freedom, but it's also different. It wakes up the brain. Go like, oh my God, that's something I've never heard before. Interesting. And what, what happens is, I work with them and get them to, to make bigger and bigger mistakes and gradually make them bigger intentionally and then go with a mistake in one direction, going the mistake in another, like too small, too big. Because even a child that doesn't know math, if you show them one object and two objects and you say, do you think it's a, and they say it's five. It's close enough, right? It could be reasonably understood why they made this mistake. But if I say, do you think it's like 100 and I have like a bunch of piles of things and they say, no, and they giggle and they say, that is too much. And I say, I agree. And then you take, say, let's say number seven and you, you, you give zero. You say, do you think that's right? I mean, you make it so it's easy to perceive the difference. It's mm -hmm. also a form of generosity, but it also works extremely well. And I've worked with variation also with world-class musicians that have pain or something. And I make them do, make mistakes on purpose. And the pain disappears after five minutes at the, at the most. Mm -hmm. Because it gives the brain enough information to figure out how to have them move while they play so they don't have pain. Mm -hmm. So that's a number four. And it's a wonderful, it's, you can call it play. You can call it mistakes. You can call it being outrageous. You can call it whatever you want. It really, really works. I, and, I love it. I have to tell you, this is, this is a variation, if you will, of something we do with parents where we talk about making it okay to make mistakes and failing forward. And we do a lot of work around this issue because so many of these kids are entrenched in believing that they can't make mistakes. It's not okay. So this is, this is brilliant in that it sort of invites them to begin to accept the human reality that mistakes happen and to learn from it. You know, right. I, don't, I, I don't call those mistakes. I just right. call it outcomes. 
Yeah, I say so. I if it. I try to to uh, and very concrete, and you can also parallel. You can jump back and forth from cognitive to concrete physical experience. I can give them a really heavy something, and I say, use only your little finger. Well, is it going to work or not? Mm -hmm. You just see what happens. I mean, so you get the system to get trained against reality. And mm -hmm. how did it work? And do I like this outcome or don't I? I also have them catch me in making mistakes. They mm -hmm. love it. You know, yep. but the moment the brain, you know, like, anyway, that matter. We don't have yeah, time let's move on. Yes. Story. <laughs> yeah. So, so the next one is enthusiasm. And enthusiasm is really a lot more on the part with children. With adults, we do it for ourselves. But with children, we do it for the child. And what I, an enthusiasm is actually amplification of subtle changes or subtle differences. So when you work with a child that, again, bouncing off the walls, let's say, right, metaphorically, mm -hmm. and you just want the child to sit down for uh, 60 seconds and just be quiet, mm -hmm. the, if you wait till the child is sitting down for 60 seconds, quiet, for you to know and to feel relieved and enthusiastic about the change, like in my world, I said, oh my God, this brain has gotten it. It's moving in the right direction. I don't say anything to the child. I don't clap. I don't give the external reinforcement because I look for the reinforcement to be generated from inside the child so that they know mm -hmm. that they're yes. doing something different. So it's, it's very different. I empower them that way, by the way, in my world. Yeah. But when the child, instead of hitting the door every six seconds, now hits the door every 12 seconds. I notice the difference. I have to be good at noticing difference. So I notice the difference and I go like, it's working. And I get that whatever, you know, hormones or goes wash our brains and our bodies, when we feel optimistic, when we see something we like, and the other brain catches it. I, I won't go again into details, but first of all, there's research that shows it's the case. So I train parents when they sit in the room and I work with their child, I point out changes. And I train them to feel enthusiastic about it internally. It's one of the hardest things for parents to do because when you have a child that doesn't talk or doesn't walk or doesn't do math, they're, for a good reason, there's a lot of anxiety around it. Mm -hmm. And when the child doesn't talk yet but babbles the first two sounds, it's very hard to be excited about it because mm -hmm. they're two years old and they're not talking and now they babbled for the first time, let's say right. And so I say it's the them, progress, it's the, it's the growth, whatever the incremental the change, change is. It's right. the change, it's mm -hmm. the positive change. I just had a somewhat heartbreaking conversation yesterday with the parents of a baby that had the big thing about brain and loss and all that stuff. And I told them, I work with change, with positive mm -hmm. change. I yes. don't control the final outcome, nobody does. Right. But if there's one positive change and another positive and another positive, guess what every human being goes? It goes in the direction that human beings go when they grow and develop. Yeah. It's, it's how it works. They're it's not going to talk then. They're going to talk. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's and it's, very much. Sometimes it's transformational. Sometimes right. it's, it's like they didn't move and now they're crawling in like uh, two sessions. I mean, sometimes it's really transformational. We don't control that. But as long as we move it forward, and enthusiasm mm -hmm. is the generosity of spirit and the willingness to, first of all, perceive and then internally go that we're in the process. 
We're yeah. in the process because if you wait for the Very child beautiful. to be fully successful before you are willing to internally be, be, be willing to enjoy it and, and acknowledge it internally, you're actually hampering the chances of this child to progress. Great. Oh, I love and it. This is very much in line space. with so the coach approach and the, and the whole philosophy of, of coaching. As a, I, I as know. I know. I thought, when I was a, you know, presenting at your, at your conference, I just yeah. loved when I l- listened to you guys. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you, guys how you guys work. <laughs> okay. All right. So I want to okay. keep us moving and watch our time because we're Okay. So the going. next essential is flexible goals. And it just falls right in everything I've already said. So we, we have a goal. We need a goal. Goal organizes us, gives us a direct, direct directionality. But once we have the goal, we have to sort of throw it far into the future and not worry about the goal. We already know the context of what we're doing and what we want to see happen. And then we work with the here and now. Mm-hmm. So it's a big thing about the here and now. So I might want the child to be able to learn to, uh, to stand up. Never mind why they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, autistic kids have a lot of coordination issues. But let's just say stand up. And now this child, for example, is not yet sitting up by themselves, right? I'm not going to worry about standing up. I know, I, I, I know it's in there. And I don't know if they're going to get there at all. I don't know if they're going to get there in a day or in a year or whatever. But I'm going to start getting them to be able to do movements where they are more able to bear weight against the gravitational pull. Mm-hmm. And that they feel where their body's in space, and that they this and that they that, and I didn't lose my goal, you know. So, and sometimes I learned this essential so powerfully when I worked with the very first child I worked with, with that was diagnosed as a, a global brain damage. I tell about it in the first chapter in my book, Kids Beyond Limits. And she couldn't do anything. She was 13 months old. It was terrible. She started walking independently mm-hmm. at age wow. nine, nine. Mm-hmm. So between age 13 months and eight years, roughly, right? Seven, eight yeah. years. What got, got kept me going? What kept her parents going? Because she kept doing better and better. And right. then we found out when she got an MRI, she's missing a third of her cerebellum. Well, it's a miracle she's standing and walking, but it's not a miracle if you know how the process works. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky that the parents were committed to continuing working with me, even though they were told by therapists and doctors that I'm stealing their money because she's already seven and she'll never walk or already six and she'll never walk or whatever they decided. But you saw the progress. progress. Right. Yeah. So this is flexible goals. And it is a wonderful emotional thing to be in because then you can have fun. Then you can have variations. Then you can enjoy your child as they go. You don't have to wait for them to get somewhere before you can relax and actually feel safe with your child. Because it's not only the child that doesn't feel safe, it's the parents that don't feel safe. Right, exactly. But if you get flexible goals and you can just enjoy and observe and notice the progress, right. then you get safe because, you know, it's moving. Right, it's moving and that's, in the right that's direction. very, yes, very much in line. Great. So flexible goals, progress, not perfection, Right. No, I wouldn't say that because you you throw it into such a grooved in non-thinking. It's, it, it, perfection is not, I wouldn't even put the word. It's about flexible goals. Keep a goal and work with what you have and move in progress in the direction. But Great. sometimes to get to the goal that is north, you might have to go southeast and then go a little bit west. Yes. And then again a little north and then again southeast. And then it, you can get to the goal. Great. Does that make sense? So yes, forget absolutely. And, and by the way, those kind of, uh, what do you call these things that people say, and it's sort of built in. Platitudes. It's, it's very 
it, it just makes people stop thinking. So I, I, I'm not a big fan of those. <laughs> I try to get people awake, you know, to keep them thinking. Right. Anyway, the next one is learning switch. Learning, learning switch. switch is very, yeah, the learning switch. There is no switch in the brain. Don't go looking for it. <laughs> but the brain is either in a learning state, in a learning mode or not. And it can be in, in a learning mode and it, you can up the intensity of the learning mode or downgrade the intensity. So get, so what, basic thing for this, this um, essential, do not work with your child, do not do coaching, do not do training and development or teaching the math. When they are not, when you see that the learning switch is not on. Great. And, and, and let me give you just very simple. The child has fever. Don't give them a homework. The child is really tired. Forget it. The child is anxious. They feel unsafe for whatever reason. Not going to learn yeah. because other parts, lower parts of the brain are going to kick in. Yeah. The, the higher centers are shut down for new learning. It's not safe. Learning yeah. is a risky affair. It's something new that you don't know if you can rely on or not. So what so, happens so when, when you do try to force learning when the child is triggered or we would might call it amygdala hijack or whatever when you're not able, when the child's not well, receptive to learning? Well, you see, when I said in the beginning, the learning, the job of the brain is to put order in the disorder and make sense out of the nonsense. The brain always does that. So what happens is the brain makes up the expectation of failure, the automatic anxiety that may come with it as a result, the, the, the shutting down of the learning even more. So we actually degrade the quality of the brain's functioning rather than give it the opportunity to recover and upgrade it. Because all I do with the brain is just upgrade it, push it up, push it up, push it up. Do your job, do your job more fully, do, be mm -hmm. more potent. Right? So what you do, but I do it by doing the opposite of what people think you should do to push things up. I stop pushing. I go gentler. I go slower. I, I, learning should not be, units should not be more than 15 to 20 minutes. So your length of your interviews is perfect. Then you just look at the breathing. Look at their eyes. Now, when you do the essentials, it actually tends to wake up the learning switch. But sometimes if the child has learned something really new, and they go like they're daydreaming or like sort of in a trance, you know, when they seem like they've gone somewhere else, that's a time for the teacher or the parent or whatever to let, leave the child alone until they come out because the brain is, is mulling it over. It's, it's doing some work in the background. We have to really empower and respect what it takes for the brain to do its job. So you just want the child well-fed and rested and, and, and feeling safe and giving them the other essentials where they, the brain can figure out how to do its job. And notice when the child is out of it, just say, it doesn't look Stop. like you're about to learn anything right now. Let's right. take a break or go home, right. come tomorrow, or let's watch some TV or let's say, play some uh, um, soccer or, you know, whatever. So, so another one, I want to... Be mindful of the time that we have because we really only have a couple of minutes left and I know you have two more essentials we want to get through. Um, so the learning switch yes. is about not, not trying to, to create an environment for learning when the child is not receptive to it, right? When the learning mode is turned yeah, off, yeah, right? Yeah, so what's yeah, essential and, eight? And, and, and essential eight is imagination and dreams. Use imagination with children. Some children, like in the autism, their imagination is not working, which is part of the problem, you know, but imagination is fantastic. 
and and if the child is not able to generate it in the beginning or is it timid, you can do it. How about we think that? How about we imagine that instead of uh, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, or you're going to jump, or can you imagine that you're 40 feet tall, what would it look like if you lifted your arm? I, I mean, I'm just, use imagination. Dreams, this is very often more an adult thing, but some children have dreams. They want to be a, 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 a famous uh, athlete of one kind or another, or they want to be a musician, or they want right. to have children. Look to build as much of the content in the context of their dream. Great, yes. Don't judge their dream. Who cares Just, if that will be their dream tomorrow? Have them change their dreams. Have them have five dreams in order of preference on Monday and then a different order of preference on Tuesday. I mean, but dreams, it call us, organizes, organizes us in the brain and the learning from our future. That's how Beautiful. I say it. I love that. So that's an imagination dreams. Awareness is the highest level. This of is essential nine as awareness. Yes, is awareness. Okay. And awareness is something that we do. It's not a state. It's not outside of our body. Those of you who do mindful meditation, in my world, awareness is an action. I call it awareing. <laughs> and I work with children. First of all, all the essentials call for awareness. You already felt it, uh, uh, you know, Elaine, at the first essential. But when you think of it as a thing that we do and we choose to become more aware, we choose to aware more at that moment to potentiate the awareness, you can actually, in the process, whatever you're doing with a child, you say, have you noticed this? Mm-hmm. Can you feel? And then one of the best places to train awareness and that people can get it off my website, there's materials and so on, you actually, is through movement. So you tell somebody to move the right leg a certain way and then you tell them at the same time to do something with their arm. And then you tell them at the same time, Gurdjieff did that, by the way. Those of you who know what Gurdjieff was, is a big awareness training. You do it through movement where you ask them to do things and gradually more complex. And the more, the most amazing thing, and of course you do it with the essentials, you know, variations and slow and not much force and all that stuff. And the most amazing thing about uh, awareness, when the complexity of awareness, when people can become aware of more and more complex stuff, their cognitive functioning parallel to that pops to higher and higher capabilities. So a child that couldn't do math, as their ability for awareness increases, their ability to understand math increases. Their ability to do writing and comprehension increases. That's it. I'm done. That's it. You did it. That's pretty impressive. I, we did it. We did it. You are. Pretty close. So, Anat, thank you. I want to go back to, to be clear. Our guest has been Anat Banyel, the founder of the Anat Banyel Method, the creator of Neuro Movement for Positive Brain Change. She's gone through in these, this interview and the one before, the nine essentials of neuro movement for positive brain change. Um, and and not, where can they find out more about you and the work that you do, both with practitioners as well okay, as Okay, so for, because it's so many parents, I do want to, to mention my new program, Parent-Child Workshop, where five days where half the time it was only the parents, we were teaching them these materials, and half the day was with their child, with 24 families in the room with other practitioners, and they're learning how to apply the essentials you know, in real time. Mm-hmm. And that, that I'm so excited about it. I say it's the hardest thing I've ever done, and it's the best thing I've ever done. So, uh, it's, uh, and, and we do training programs for practitioners, and the website is anatbanielmethod.com, A-N-A-T-B-A-N-I-E-L, method, M-E-T-H-O-D.com. 
You can find out, you can access that website if you didn't get the spelling of it on impactadhd.com if you go to the bio for Anat Danielle connected with this audio. And again, Anat, thank you so much for sharing this, this and, incredible And you know, work. there's one more thing. I forget. Yeah. Thank you. I, I forgot if they go on Anat Baniel YouTube or Anat Baniel Method YouTube, there's tons of videos showing our work with children. So Great. Parents we will make sure watch. to include yeah. those links in your bio on, on impactadhd.com. So thank you. To, thank to you. Thank you. No, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for being here, for sharing this wisdom, for the work that you're doing in the world, for the changes you're making for families and kids. And, thank and you to for those your of you, work. Oh, thank you. We, we love what we do. We get to talk to fabulous people like you. To those of you who are listening, thank you for your attention, for your engagement, for your commitment to yourselves and to your kids. And uh, we look forward to connecting with you on the next podcast. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.